friends, how are you? My name is Colm and this is the Sober Mess podcast and you're very welcome. Today I am very grateful to be joined by the very inspiring Timmy Long. Timmy is the co-host with his pal James of the usually popular podcast, The Two Norries Podcast. It's a podcast that covers such things as addiction, mental health and recovery. And it's a podcast that's helped me tremendously over the last two years. I'm absolutely chuffed to have one of my icons, Tim, on the podcast. So, Tim, how are you, man? Hey, Colin, thanks for having me. You know, if you can't hear that dog, we we have a new puppy. We got her there um, about two weeks ago and she had the whole house upside down since she came in the door. We have a 10-year-old dog as well. And he cannot even sleep with this puppy because every opportunity she gets, she bites his tail oh, no on the back of his legs. <laughs> so she's outside the back. She's outside there now barking her head off. Uh, if you can hear her. But, <laughs> what, but what, what type of dog is it? We got uh, a Staffordshire Terrier. Ah, oh, bull staff. Ah, class. I, I had him all my life growing up and, and I found him to be one of the most friendliest loving dogs that i've ever ever had you know if they're treated in the right way they're the yeah. most lovable dog you could ever have i like, love you know, that so. that's say if you want to learn what unconditional love is get a dog mm. oh. love that. we 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 have marley then who's a cavalier king charles and we've him for the last 10 years and he goes to work with me i uh, really yeah it's right next to me in the van and uh, just stays there the whole day, just staring up at me like that. Ah, that's deadly. I love <laughs> I that. I feed him, I water him, and he's a great little fella to have next to you. Like, and um, I, I, I'm very blessed. Little that companion. Life, that's so. class, man. I love that. Yeah, little, your little coat, your little walker. I love that. Yeah. That's class, man. So, yeah, look, we, we set the tone of the podcast. First question, what is, is Dublin the real capital of Ireland? Um... Do you know what? No, listen. You're going to have to put me in the spot because most Cork members say, ah, sure, Cork is... You know I was up in Dublin yesterday and it is a massive, massive city. Myself and James are up there on the Justice Media Awards and we got a merit award. Um, we, were far, we were so blessed to be inside in a category with Nicola Talent, whose podcast, the... What was it? Um... With Joey O'Callaghan, anyway, I can't, I, I can't think of the name, but it was a fantastic podcast. Myself, uh, us, and Nicola, we shared a silver merit for an award, and it was a massive, massive achievement for, for for the podcast as well to show us what we're actually doing and how how much is helping people. You know, the podcast was in relation to her uh, cohesive control, which was uh, her one partner controls the other partner in the relationship through behavior and through threat and through violence you know um, yeah. and it was it, it came second in that overall category we were we were beating by the law society of ireland a group of solicitors who have their own based podcast so that was only always going to happen you know yeah. the witness is the name of uh, nicola talent's podcast once she it was a series of podcasts it was a fantastic podcast as well i listened but um, Dublin definitely is the capital of Ireland. You know, it has the most beautiful buildings that you'll ever see. You know, I was up there and every time I go up there, I see something new, something more bigger than the last time. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful city. That's, you know? that's beautiful. I, I, you're after getting a good, I'd say you get a good few fans now in Dublin after hearing that. You'll, you'll, lose, <laughs> you'll lose a few fans in Cork though. <laughs> ah, sure. That, but that's that's powerful, man, with the podcast, man. That's incredible. Like, did you lads ever see it getting that going that far and getting as popular as it has? No, you know, a lot of people ask me, where did motivation come from? It, how did it, how did it start? How did the podcast start? Where, and you know, the real answer is is it just it's, I I some bit of information just came to me, you know, and. A really, really, really strong bit of information just came into me during meditation and just said, You're gonna to have to share it. What's my I, you're always when you're in recovery, you ask, What's my purpose here on this planet? What's my purpose? What am I here for? 
you know, because you go through addiction and you don't even know who you are. Next, you wake up one day when you stop drinking and drugging and everything else, and you look in the mirror and you say, who is this person? Mm. And then you start asking yourself, what am I here for? What's my purpose? You know, all along I thought my purpose was there to be out there enjoying myself and doing all that shit that I was doing. But now you ask yourself, what's my purpose? And I asked, you know, when I go into meditation, I just leave the meditation, bring me wherever wherever it goes. And I had this really, really powerful kind of sense of, sense of awareness and information at the same time. And it just said, Share your share your experience in life. Share your story. Speak to others about it. And I was never in my lifetime on social media before this. I was very very private. I was never on Facebook. I was never on Instagram or Twitter or any of these other things. And now all of a sudden, I'm going. I'm I'm going to James, who who's our co-host and on the podcast, and 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 I'm saying. Well, when we start our own podcast, because he was just on the Tommy Tiernan show, and he got, he he got a lot of emails in Texas from people looking from for some help, you know, some guidance, and and I said, why don't we just start our own podcast? And there was so much fear. I had so much fear inside me that, but every time that fear would come up, this this information, this voice would say, "This is what you have to do." This is what you have to do, you know. And um, for the f- when 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 we started my podcast, the first two podcasts were my story, and I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified, you know, because I I'm not a public speaker. I'm not somebody who have ever who who's ever spoken in front of big crowds or anything like that. Next, I have a lot of cameras around me. I was never on my phone taking a video of myself or anything like this beforehand. And next, all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the room with 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 a uh, cameras on me and and I'm talking about my story and I I was literally terrified but when the podcast came out then and when I was involved in alcohol and drugs column like I I I, I actually didn't care what I done to people what never mind what I done to myself but I didn't care how I hurt people or what I done to people you know and uh, there was a lot of fear around that that a lot of shit would be thrown back into my face you know, or even my family's face, you know. But I was I was delighted that there were so many afterwards, I got so many nice, beautiful comments from people saying, well done, you know what, to me. And people that never spoke to me before would stop me on the road and say, you know what, fair play to me, well done. That was amazing, you know. And since then, my community, the people in my community, we chat. You know, people come to me and they ask me where can they go to help to get their son help or get get help for themselves. And and, and sometimes you might sit down and have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with somebody and, and just try to guide them a little bit or just have a chat, give them some bit of motivation, you know. And, and I'm very, very blessed to be able to do something like that, you know. Not many people, not many people get an opportunity when you know, who are caught up in addiction. Like, I live this life here, which is all this mad, chaotic stuff. And now I have this life here where, you know, it's like you're stepping out of one life and you're going into another life. You're reborn. And um, I've, I've been given great opportunities since we've done this podcast. You know, fantastic people have came into my life, you know, and uh, I feel very, very fortunate. That's, that's powerful, Timmy. It really is. And I heard this great quote once, you know, one day you'll tell your story about how you overcame what you went through and it will be someone else's survival guide. And I think that's the powerful thing about recovery, you know, is that, you know, we can be such a lonely place because I know it's only when I got sober that a lot of the feelings that I had since childhood, I thought I was the only one that felt them, you know, and I thought I was the only one going through that stuff, you know. And then when I, I met a group of people also getting recovery, you know, and they, I'd no way of putting fear and anxiety and depression into words because I never heard anyone talking about it. You wouldn't be sitting around with a group of lads in the pub saying, here, will you get to the point of feeling insecure? Like, you know what I mean? But you, you'd be experiencing all these things and then you'd go and you'd go to a recovery room and you'd hear people talking about the stuff and putting words on the stuff 
and being and you're like America all of a sudden nodding your head going yeah we get that we get that and I'm not the only one and the sense of relief that you get when you find the able to diagnose the problem and realize what was up the whole time like you know and I love what you said about the meditation as well you know where we all have that intrinsic north star it's like an intrinsic google maps within us you know that send us directions but it's only yeah. when we it's only when we sit still enough and listen because we're quite find man that we're constantly on the go 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 and when we actually stop and just listen to the stuff and and, and take a couple of breaths you know, and that's when we get that bit of direction, like, you know what I mean? That our best wisdom, like, I remember, <laughs> you know, I remember a guy, it's a very spiritual man that I know, and he was always asking, like, oh, what do you think I should do about this thing that's going on? And he'd always say, well, if I told you that, what do you think, what do you think I tell you? And then I'd answer my own question. And he goes, right, then go and do that, you know what I mean? So it's like, mm. we always have the, the direction within us, but it's like we're just waiting for the, uh, you know, just waiting for that thought-provoking thing to take off. But did you feel that as you went on in your journey with the podcast and people were coming up to you on the street and, you know, kind of saying, a fair player, people were asking you for help, was that kind of encouraging you and letting you know that you were on the right path with the podcast? Massively, definitely, because I, 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 I have no problem with all that stuff, with people stopping me. I know, I know I'm on, on the right path. Pat, okay, but there was one thing I always said to myself the minute that it gets it, it gets about something else other than the podcast, and, and you know what I mean here, if it got too big and it was about fucking fame or money or whatever else, I walk away, mm. you know, because my reasons for doing what I do is 100%. Because this is what I, I I wanted to do. I wanted to help people because I have a young family and I wasn't able to help too many people on an, an individual level, you know, in A and NA and through that. So I said, this is my opportunity to be able to bring people's stories together, put them on a platform and leave others listen. And what better time did it happen other than during the middle of a pandemic? You know, where, where, where people are stuck at home, they have nothing else to do but just go onto YouTube and and um, can I just stop? Can you hear them talking from the outside? Sorry, about so, that. No, it's okay, bro. Don't worry about it. Just came in. I don't even think they know it. Yeah, grand. I'm in here. No, you're grand. You walk away, bro. If you want to keep going, we can. Or if you want to pause, we can. Whatever suits you. I'll just pause it there a second. Yeah, yeah right? take a time. I'm just going to tell them to keep it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries, pause. Take a time. You're fucked. You're mad, like. No, you're, you're all right, man. No worries at all. You're mad. This house, we, as I said, they're, they're all up to see the new pop. Ah, right? deadly. Bark and, and I said, fuck, I've been here, man. And I, I said, right, no. This is the way I was for the last few minutes. Yeah, and isn't it great though to have that the family getting visiting the house, you know? Because I know when I was drinking, they'd be all, they wouldn't come near me. Now you can't get rid of them. <laughs> I know. I know. So, uh, how are we going to go back to where we were? Or... I was just talking about like um, what what kind of kept you going with the podcast and what kind of you know your little prompts and thing, little encouragement that you got on the way and things like that. Yeah, well, um, yeah, like every everybody like everybody gave both myself and James a, a lot of um, fantastic feedback. It was all positive, you know. And even my wife, you know, who's probably, who's probably the, the person that saved me in the end, saved my life because I would have probably never gave up the alcohol or drugs for myself initially, you know, never, you know, initially I would have never done it, and um, yeah, so when she told me. Then that there was I had an ultimatum like that she couldn't bring up her two kids around me and my behaviours anymore. It kind of it was like whoa, and I'll be on my own here for if 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 that happens, you know. And um, even though while I was in prison and early recovery, there was moments that 
I really, really wished she did leave me and stuff like that so I could go back using alcohol and drugs to block out all that trauma, all the pain, to know more all that stuff back down there. And um, when she encouraged me and said, well done, and, and, and gave me a lot of praise for what I was doing, and she said she was proud, proud of me, that was it for me. That was everything. That's all I ever needed. You know, I was just happy with that bit of... Um, that bit of that bit of encouragement from her and my children, my children. It was it was a great way f- for my children to to learn a little bit about their father. I have a, I have a daughter who's fifteen, and I have a son who's uh, who's eleven. And I speak very very openly about my past, you know, because I don't want them to hear it from anybody else and from to get confused. So if they ask me a question. I speak very freely about my past and I tell him exactly where I was in life and and um and why you know I, I'm very open about those kind of things you know but yeah that's powerful so, I love that yeah like for you like take us back to the start like what was it like growing up in Cork and, and would you have felt that like before you ever picked up a drink or a drug do you felt you've always had this I suppose, urging you to find some form of escapism in something. Yeah, growing up, I grew up in um, in, in Knocknaney, <clears throat> in Cork City. And Knocknaney has a reputation down through the years for being a really, really wild part of Cork City. And <clears throat> I would grow up in a, 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 a home with, with my, my mother, who was a single parent, and my two younger siblings, you know, and my mother's mental health was really, really, really bad, you know. Um, we grew up in the 80s. And for anybody that grew up in the 80s, they'll know that it was a really difficult time in Ireland. You know, poverty was like we know the poverty that was back then is nothing like we see today. You know, people were genuinely hungry. And even before that, it was worse again. You know, so I grew up there, you know, um, and it was a time where neighbours looked after neighbours, you know, where everybody knew everybody. You could knock on anybody's door to get whatever you needed. Just ask, you know. They were great times, you know, and um, you didn't just have your own mother inside your own house. You had a mother nearly in every ro- every house around the, the estate, you know, because they all just looked out for you, you know. It was the mother, it, the women were... Were, were everything they were the, they were the, the strong point of, of of any kind of tribe you know they were they were the strong ones you know and and they fed us and they looked after us and and, and stuff like that but i would have got into substances at a really young age from from the age of maybe 10 11 and when i says it was substances no it would be just gas petrol nail varnish you know anything that i could get a, a buzz off you know, anything I could get my hands on. And um, I used to go on the hop from school, in primary school, and, and uh, go sniffing for the whole day, you know, and come back home then into the, the, the family home where my mother was and uh, and just continue, you know. There was, at this stage, like, uh, things would have been very, very difficult as well, you know, and school was a massive, massive um problem for me back then as well you know being sitting inside in the classroom was a very very difficult thing for me I'd know I'd know form of concentration it was a I, I'd fiddle with things then because whatever she was writing on the board or giving giving me to to read on the table I could never ever get it I mm. couldn't understand what she was saying I couldn't understand what was on on the paper in front of me and I would fidget and I would mess and I'd be destructive and then I'd be put, put at the back of the class and that's where I spent a lot of my time just looking out the window and you know I'm just thinking about what I'd be going home to you know because we 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 had nothing and you, you're always wondering what kind of condition your mother is is going to be in when you go home will she be okay is there going to be food there for you and your brothers and stuff like that and that was my childhood growing up but there was also a massive amount of violence in the family home, you know, a lot of physical violence and and screaming and 
you know, growing up, I, it, it, it was a daily thing for me to, to wee in the bed, you know, as a young child, you know. I think I was doing it up to 11, 12 years of age, you know, because I was so, so full of fear. I Fear had my whole body consumed, you know, and and I can remember even from as young as six and seven years of age, like, wondering, like, I, 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 would, I would ask to die, you know that there that's what that's what it was you know i would ask it just to die because i i i couldn't understand what was going on around me i couldn't understand why people were behaving in the way they were and why i was being hurt you know and and i prayed to god because it, we were very religious back then as well and teachers should be saying ah, ask god and he'll look after you and he'll give you whatever you want i'd be going home and i'd be praying and all these different things and it was nothing happening. My life situations weren't changing. Mm-hmm. And I cut off. I completely cut off. I cut off from everybody. I cut off immunes. I lost all faith. And that's when I became completely introverted. And you said it there a while ago. You felt like you were the only person in the planet. You felt like you were the only person who felt like this and thought like this. And that was me from that age. I continued for the rest of my life, stuck up in my head, Oh, I was wondering what people were thinking of me, mm. if they liked me, if they didn't like me, if I liked myself, what was wrong with me, am I bad, you know, why don't they want me to play a room, why, do, why aren't I left, why am I always picked last, you know, like I was a child, a really skinny child, you know, we the clothes I would have had would have been rags, you know, and, and I was probably dirty as well, you know, because we probably, like, believe it or not, back in them days, like, there was three of us, myself and my three brothers, and we'd jump into the fucking bat water after my mother, my my mother, on, on a Saturday, and that would be the only wash you get for the week, you know. Yeah. And you can imagine, imagine how difficult that that is. So that was how it was back then, you know. And we were one of the lucky ones who actually had a wash, you know. So I, I, I'm very blessed in one way, but you know, my life, my my life back then was so so sad. But when I look look back now, I also gained a lot of strength from it as well. You know, I'm I'm a really really strong human being who can adapt to situations really well, yeah. and I have a real strong form of resilience. And my form of resilience is not about just saying, "Ah, get on with it, come on, I'll go through this like a you know a, a, a thoroughbred stallion and just brush everybody out of my way, and I'd be fine at the end." The resilience for me is about looking after myself. You know, whatever comes my way, I feel it, I accept it. You know, I don't judge it and I try to go with it. You know, and that, that's that's my resilience. That's how, I, how I'm resilient. I, I don't fight any of that stuff anymore. If it comes up, it's here for a reason. It needs to be, it needs to be loved. It needs to be minded needs to be hugged and 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 that's hope that's my recovery today is 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 whenever a difficulty comes up for me that something that i call difficulty may be fear or guilt or shame you know i try to meet it like it's my best friend or it's like the father i never had and i and i'm there for it you know and, and i just and i and, and I, I just say it's okay you know and i always go back to that inner child that little boy who was really struggling as a young child, and I go back to him, you know, and I visualize that little boy, you know, and I hug him. I remember a time a few years ago, eight, nine years ago, when I tried to hug that inner child through therapy, that that little boy was hitting me and pushing me, and you know, and 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 back then, like, but no, he's safe. You know, he feels safe and because of me healing myself down through the years, we're healing the inner child, we're healing constantly, you know, and that's something I constantly do in my life. I try to heal myself from within, you know. I'm not perfect. Thank God I would never be perfect, you know, but I want to continue on this journey of recovery. And for me, recovery is not about just dropping alcohol, dropping drugs, gambling, food addictions, all these different addictions. That is not just recovery. Recovery is healing 
for within the earth. That's powerful. You know, the alcohol and drugs are a small part of it. The healing within the stuff in here, that's the that's ninety five percent of it. Yeah, the hundred percent man. It's a it's an inside job and and I can identify so much with you, you know, what you said and what I love most, you know, what I love most what you said is how like how your perspective is today. You know, if you, you asked me a couple of years ago about my childhood, I tell you I had a really difficult childhood, you know, and if you asked me today about my childhood, I tell you I had a really good childhood. And I think what it is, as you, as you go through recovery, you just start to get compassion and you start to have compassion for the past. Years ago, I'd have a lot of resentments and I'd, I'd be, mm. I'd have this mad victim mindset and I thought I had a really tough and hard. But then as you get older, you just realize that people were doing the best they, they could with what they had and they were carrying their own traumas, you know, and no one wakes up in the morning meaning to hurt anyone, you know, we're just all in survival mode. If it's addiction or mental illness, we don't, we just don't know what we're at, like, half the time, like, you know, and I can identify a lot as a kid, man, you know, growing up and just being out in the schoolyard and looking at other kids and going, do they feel like the way I feel? Are they going through what I'm going through? And, you know, and it was like even going around to other kids' houses as a kid and looking at what normality is. You know, you'd have a sleepover in someone's house and you'd see the house, like, how they'd interact and how the house be lovely and clean. There'd be no madness. And you realise, Jesus, you know, it's just like... You know, is this how you're meant to be? Like, you know what I mean? And and then you go yeah. back to your house and goes, "Oh, when can we have a sleepover in your gaff?" And you're like, "Ah, yeah." <laughs> you know, just, you know, you didn't want to bring anyone into your house, like, you know. And uh, and just, but it's like you're normal. It's all, it's all you know, like, you know. And uh, and that's just the dysfunction. You know, you come from a perfectly normal dysfunctional family, like, you know. And as yeah. you and you grow up and like that man, like I, I know, I love enjoying sports today, and I'm. I think the reason that I, I not only I, like I, the reason I enjoyed them is because as I grew up, that my my head, my mind was such an unpleasant place to be, but I'd no other choice but just to get on with it and just tolerate it. And I grew this resilience for discomfort and pain, inner pain. You know, and then when I got sober, I don't know if you ever felt this, but after like a year or two into recovery, everything in my life got so peaceful and calm. But I was set up for fucking destruction and chaos. So it was like a fireman that didn't know what to do with himself and there's no fires to be putting out. You know what I mean? And so I felt like I was nearly just sabotaging (laughs) relationships and sabotaging jobs and making problems that weren't even there because I was still using the tools I needed when I was a kid. You know, with all these tools that I picked up from a very young age, you know, who smashed the window? It wasn't me, you know. It'd be easier to lie than tell the truth. Or whoever shouts the loudest gets heard. And, you know, all this kind of mindset, you know, we're still in the war zone in my mind. But my reality was a lot calmer. And, you know, so I had to, as you said, learning to heal that inner kid and let him know, look, the war's over. We can drop that old tool, them old tools and, you know, enjoy life. And that's when I got into, like, enduring sports and I found that sense of connection and, I suppose, chaos in doing the exercise that I, lo- that I loved and just made me feel uh, connected, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing because I think, I think people that move away from alcohol and drugs and they begin the, the recovery period or journey, you know, they, they need to find something to, to fill that boredom section of it as well. I think boredom is probably the biggest killer of, of people in recovery, you know, and going into relapse, you know, because they're at home and they're bored. And, that's, and with the lockdown there and the COVID and stuff, and we had so much of that and people particularly people in, in, in going to meetings and stuff, they didn't have that social aspect to recovery anymore where they were meeting people inside in coffee shops and stuff. That must have been a very, very, very difficult, very, very difficult time as well for people, you know. Um, but for me, when I stopped, I had such an urge just to educate, to learn you know, to learn, because I, I had to learn to read and write in, in, I, in prison, you know, at the age of 32, I started my education journey because I couldn't read or write, you know, so I started there and it was, it was just, I, I'd be inside in the cell and I'd have all these little notepads on the wall with different words that I didn't understand 
And unbeknown to myself back then, I was also dyslexic. Okay, and and I really, really struggled. You know, I didn't find out I was dyslexic for for years, years more, uh, at least five years after that. You know, but I really, really, really drove the education route down. You know, and and, and I'd sit myself for five or six hours after we'd be locked in, and I'd be studying. You know, studying words and trying to understand them, and I'd be a hundred times I'd be trying to understand the word. And, you know, sometimes it just never went in, never went in. But education was my drive, and some people. In, in, in early recovery, they can get so caught up in 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 that kind of want to to fill a ten year of addiction gap in one year. You know, they might want to to get educated. They might want to have the relationship. They might want to go here. They might want to go here. You know, because the mind is still going hundred miles an hour. You know, and it takes a bit of time, and it takes for other people who have gone through that whole process as well to say, hold up, you're actually you're actually sprinting in the recovery period. Yeah. Bring yourself back. Don't do that course. At the moment, just go go to therapy, go to your meetings and heal yourself. Understand, get in touch with yourself, you know, talk about what's going on for you, find yourself a sponsor and all these different things. And they're very, very, very important parts of of um, of recovery. It's, it's just that understanding of of take it nice and slow. You know, I remember being in cell in in the prison, and uh, I was working with the psychology department, and I've seen a psychologist at the time, and she I couldn't retain information because I was in fight or flight. You know, I was hyper vigilant. You know, I was completely hyper vigilant. I came on again off the streets. You know, I was off the drugs, I'd no more crutches, crutch was gone. They helped me get through all the stuff. And next, all of a sudden, I'm completely paranoid inside the cell and and I couldn't retain information. No matter what they gave me in the school to, to, to help me with my personal development or anything, I couldn't retain it. And I was up talking with the psychologist in, in, in a session one day and she, she mentioned meditation. And I said, how, how, how am I supposed to meditate? Like, my two legs now were hot bouncing off the floor, <laughs> nearly pushing off the ceiling, like sitting on the chair. She said, put your two hands on top of your legs like that. Put your hands on your legs like that. And that's, I have to do that. My head was fucking banging, racing with, with, with negativity. We take your own life, do this, you know, you're bad, you're no good. You know, you've done this, you've done that, you've done the other, you know, you're worthless, you know, all that stuff from childhood came flooding in because the drinking, the drugs didn't control my thinking anymore. You know, for years they did control my thinking and there was no space then for any logical things in life, any important stuff like family, like what am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to get a mortgage? How am I going to do this? How am I going to, you know, there was no time for that. It was just drink, drugs, gambling, crime. You know, when you stop then and you go into recovery, you stop alcohol and drugs. It's like, you know, you can't go near this stuff anymore, with the alcohol and the drugs, because if you do, you lose your family, you lose your kids, you know, and you lose your mind, you know. So you're here. You're here then trying to manage all these emotions that are going through your body that you don't even understand. I was completely numb. Numb. I knew nothing about emotions. I didn't even know what emotions and feelings were. I knew I was happy when I was getting stoned. and I was sad when I wasn't getting stoned. That was it. They were the only things that I ever knew. I didn't know what anxiety was. I lived my life in anxiety. My whole life. And people, I often hear people talking about getting panic attacks and stuff like that. And panic attacks are really, really bad. But I lived on that really high frequency of complete hypervigilancy all my life where I was completely paranoid. You know, my two eyes were rolling around my skull like 360 that I was wandering. I trusted no one, you know, and I had to learn all this stuff. 
you know, it was a long, long road. And it's still, that's, that road is still there, it's still long. It's, it's a continuous road and and we keep going and we keep going and we keep learning about this person inside here. We keep learning, we keep freeing all that trapped emotional stuff that's trapped down here, all down here from all the different experiences in life that we had when we were young, when we were in addiction, when we, through relationships, through everything that we went through, through school, bullying, whatever it is, all that's there. And we have to free that energy. And when we free that energy, we become more creative. You know, we can think more, we can love more, we can be there in relationships more and have conversations more, you know, so there's so much to it. South Korea, wasn't it? That's, I remember the early recovery, you know, I think it was like two weeks over and, you know, again, I think it was like a mini honeymoon period and one of these like, all-timers said to me, do you know what the good news is? You get your feelings back. I said, great. He said, do you know what the bad news is? You get your feelings back. <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant. I didn't know what he meant by that, you know. Next thing, man, yeah. I, they just all hit me at once. And it made me realise, as you said there, you know, the drink and the drugs was the solution. You know, mm-hmm. it was the, you know, we had like that, man, like that, just that intense fear, that constant fear. And the only way I knew to get away from it was oblivion through drink and drugs. And then when I put down the drink and drugs, man, it was back again. You know, and like that, as you said, that doing that on that healing journey, healing that inner child, you know, learning to forgive the past, you know, letting go and, and being around people who are on a similar journey and giving you that bit of encouragement and hope and letting you know, look, you know, you're on the right path, you're doing all right, you know, this too shall pass and one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, you know, and just this little, these little kind gestures and these little, you know, people showing you love and appreciation and especially when you felt unlovable and, and people loving the unlovable, like, you know what I mean? And that's what I loved when I found the, I suppose, the, the sober community, you know, and, and realising that, uh, that I needed to do a lot of work on myself when I got sober first. And as you said, you know, like that man, I went down all them extreme rabbit holes. A guy, I came in and I thought, you know, I went, went down a real spiritual path and I wanted to be a monk and all. And, you know, yeah. I, remember, I remember talking to my sponsor at the time and he was like, right, you're doing a third step, you know, find, you know, finding a higher power and all. And I was in my head, oh, God's will, you know, I had to go up there, you know, over to the bed and become a monk and meditate for a couple of days or maybe have to come, become a priest or a Jehovah's Witness and knocking on doors yeah. and, you know, extreme. And I remember saying to him, it's so, so what's God's purpose for me? What's God's will? What do I have to do? Do I have to go, you know, hand out rosary beads? And he says, you know what God's will for you is? He says, go home and pay our bills. I was like, what? He said, go home and start cleaning up around the house. Go home and start being useful and reliable. You know, and that's what recovery is all about, you know. And, and I was there going, oh, no, I want to get a degree in addiction studies and help all these people. Or I want to become a missionary in, in Africa. And he's like, no, go home and do the work there. You know, that's where, that's where recovery is, like, you know. And, uh, and that's what it is today, man. It's the trying as as what you're doing with the podcast, you know, just trying to be a service and trying to be of use and using your own experience to 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 help other people. And <clears throat> I think that that's very healing in itself when you can get to a place when you can be a service, like you know. Yeah, most definitely. And it like one of the biggest parts of 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 having recovery in your life is being able to give it to somebody else, you know, because of the wisdom you carry. And, and through your experiences going through the recovery period, you know, it's very important that people who've came out the other end share their experience. You know, when I say share their experience, no, they share their roof, share how they got to where they are today, you know, share how they, they got through the fear, the shame, the guilt, the anxiety, the panic attacks, you know, and that's 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 what we do for years, right? Yeah, and then yeah, there was a lot of anonymity around us, you know. Oh, people didn't talk about being an alcoholic. Didn't talk about their stories. You didn't talk about who was in there, who was out there, you know. But we're 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 moving into times where there shouldn't be any form of stigma stigma around an alcoholic, an addict, somebody who has been in prison, somebody who suffers with their mental health, somebody who's homeless on the streets. There shouldn't be any judgment in anybody like that. You know, we need to, we need to look at the background. We need to look behind all that. We need to look at like, right, 
these people are traumatized, you know. Their coping mechanism was drugs and drink and gambling, you know, and that brought them to the streets, it brought them to prison. Right. How can you fix people like that? You know, how can you how how, how can you help them? You know, you help them by <clears throat> when they want help, and we all we both know this, you can't catch anybody's hand and help them and, and, and tell them go into a meeting and you'll be fine. They have to reach this certain place in their own lives where they know that they're at the rock bottom and they have to walk in that door themselves into the NA meeting, into a counselor's meeting, into a doctor's NA, GA, doesn't matter. Walk in there and make that first move. And when somebody does that without somebody else catching them by the hand and walking them into a meeting like a family member who wants them to get recovery for, for their, their self, you know, that's a good, good, good time, you know, and um, and that's what we're there to do. We're here to talk about our stories. You're here to talk about your story and the people you have in your podcast. We're doing the exact same thing. And we're here to show people that people are human beings, okay? They make mistakes, you know. Let's not keep them down on the floor with one foot up on top of their back or their neck. And, and and tell them that they can't get up and be a part of society. Let's catch them by the hand and pull them up and give them a hug and say, Do you know what? It's okay. You know, it's okay. We're here for you. We'll give you opportunities. You know, because people like myself and others who have gone through the recovery and, and the prison process, when we get educated and when we go down the route of A and recovery and 12 step programs and psychotherapy, you know, and, and, I, I came out of the CIA, a Cox MTU with a, a degree in construction management. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a job because of the guard vetting process. And and that was like a kick back down to the floor for me saying, you know what? Stay there. We'll judge on your past, not what you've done in the last 10 years. To help yourself through recovery, education, build relationships with your community, your family, your friends. That's not looked at. You know, what's looked at is what you've done to go to prison or what you've done in addiction. You know, not all the nice things that you've done. And I don't talk about a lot of the... the and I'm sure you don't. A lot of people love, like, we we, we, we don't go around looking for prayers of people because of the, the, thing, the nice things we do for other people, you know. We we do it because it was done for us. That 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 was that was done for us. It was done for you. It was done for me. You know, um, and that's why we do it because we have to pass that on. We have to pass it on to the people coming up behind us, because if that's not done right, we may have family members. We may have mother. We may have mothers, daughters, uh, grandkids who are struggling with addictions in 10, 15 years' time, 20 years' time, and there'll be nobody there to help them on their path because we both know it's it's people in recovery from alcohol and drugs helped me and helped you. You know, we need to help them too and just integrate people back into society a little bit more. And that's a that's a collective thing. That's that's a whole societal thing where, where everybody has to do it. And the whole meaning of our podcast is to break that stigma and people are starting to understand, do you know what, that guy there, you know, he, I actually used to think that he was a bad person and he just did these things because he felt like it. No, I believe, do you know what, he's actually a good person. You know, I don't think he means to do anything like this to people, Rob. You know, I think the reason the way he is now is because he can't handle a traumatic experience that happened in his life or a number of traumatic experiences that happened in his life when he was young or, or whatever period of his life and it pushed him down a life of drug addiction and gambling addiction, alcoholism and that turned him to crime and then he went to prison and, you know, that's what we're doing. We're changing that. We get so many different messages from people who listen to the podcast and how we've changed their perception of, of people who are homeless on the streets, of people that are begging on the streets, you know. You know, nobody wants to be on a corner of a fucking street column with a cup in their hand to beg, you know. And we both know that. You know, it takes a lot for another human being 
to beg another human being for money, you know. And I'll tell you what it takes. It takes someone to be strong out in heroin. It takes someone to be strong on crack cocaine, alcohol, you know. These are the things that will push someone to doing these things in the streets. And, 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 you know, how do you judge somebody on that? We need, people need, need, need to understand it that a little bit more, particularly people who are fortunate that they didn't have a really difficult life growing up, you know, and, and that they don't need alcohol and drugs and are prescribed meds to be able to get through their day because they have all those social skills, all those skills that were passed on to them through their parents and how to deal with emotions, how to deal with thoughts, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. And it, it's, it, it is, the system at the moment is, it's so sad, you know. Like, we do a bit of work with the homeless and you'd see guys and they'd come fresh out of prison and, and, and they'd look great when they get out of prison, you know, because they're away from everything and they were kind of in there, they had a nice little structure, they were getting fed, you know, and they're away from all the, all the you know, the drugs and the crime and they get out and they look so fresh, you know, and they have these little little envelopes full of CVs and they're going around looking for jobs and then you come back in a week or two later and you see them and they've gone back to square one again and like that you know they've gone out looking for jobs and everyone's saying no sorry no sorry can't do because of what you said with the past like you know and so it, 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 the system now is like how do you help someone that's caught in that you know cycle and I know I listened to you guys your podcast before and I think it's like Gabor Mate on one that was really good and you guys are talking about the system that they have in Portugal and things like that but like how do you change the stigma and the you know the prejudices of societies and the way that the, the that experience you had with the guard of vetting and how do you help that the whole change the whole system around? We just keep making noise. We keep doing what we're doing. No, it's not something that's going to change tomorrow or next week. But the more people that talk about it, the more awareness that's brought up around us, you know it changes long term and the more vision that people have like me and like you and others who, who just want to get on with their lives and be a part of society in their communities, but they can't because of something that may have happened 10 or 15 years ago, you know, there needs to be some form of structure made within our legal system where after five, six years, Timmy, who's been out of prison six, seven years, okay, is in recovery eight years, right? He can go into this panel of people and say, right, right, Timmy, how are you? What's the story? Grand. Right, this is your past, Timmy, yeah? Okay, right, tell us what you've done since you you, you, you got out of prison, since, since you're off alcohol and drugs. Tell us what you've done. And I tell him, I don't mind. Junior sort, I tell him I done my leaving sort. I tell him I got done a FETAC level five and a level six in St. John's College. I tell him that I've uh, finished my qu- a qualification in carpentry and joinery. I went down to third level education and I got a, I got um, an honours degree in construction management. You know, I done mindfulness courses. You know, I went to therapy for six years, psychotherapy for six years in and out of prison. You know, I tell them all these different things. I tell them I started my own business and construction. I tell them I started a social initiative where we have a car wash and valeting company where we employ people from homeless services and people who, who struggle with the same issues I would have had getting jobs because of their guard of vetting. I tell them all these things. You know, and 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 there's a fuck like and, and you're still being judged in your past here. It's, it's like two different people. Mm-hmm. You know, but this person here who doesn't behave like this person back here was caught up in addiction, you know. And I'm here, and every time something comes up for me now, right, regarding my past, it's like I'm looking at that past and I'm saying, oh, sure, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was an unconscious human being who is doing their best to survive in the circumstances that they had. And they were using alcohol and drugs and involved in crime to be able to source these drugs and the alcohol and the, and the funds to pay for gambling, you know. Like, these are the things that need to be done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just something in my head. That's how I believe that 
things like that could change down the line for for people that are coming out of prison and the people that are have criminal records. You know, you can't stay with you, Colin, for for life. Mm. You know, if you haven't got involved in crime or you've really looked at yourself and you're actually a, a great human being who has so much to offer to society and to to the people around them. But they keep getting stopped because of something like ten years ago, you know. Like it's 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 unfair. It's it's really unfair. But I'm fortunate. I am very lucky. I I, I have I have work. You know, I, I don't hide anything from anybody. Everybody knows my story. And I think that's what that's what people appreciate. They know they know who they're getting when they come to their their home or, or their business and they do work from, you know, I'm I'm very open about everything. You know, because um, because of the podcast again, which comes back to it again, it's, 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 it has helped me massively. I'm really grateful. Yeah, that's I love that, and yeah, hundred percent. That, that's the other thing about the, the, I suppose the recovery, the recovery rooms. You know, is that that sense of that where you feel like you're less than society. You know, that feeling that you just don't fit in anywhere. You're not good enough. You're not worthy, and all that stuff. And then you come into when I came into recovery, you get that sense of acceptance. You know, and that sense of as I said earlier, you're feeling unlovable, and and you find love like you know what I mean. And and it builds up your confidence so much. You know, people like come shaking your hand, offering you coin gestures and things like that. And it's just it's so good for you to you know you get you, you get to meet your tribe and people that have the same head as you. And the same mad thinking and a, and a sense of humor and you know you just find that sense of belonging and, and for people that don't belong anywhere or you know another one I heard is like you felt I felt like a black sheep my whole life until I came into recovery and I met a herd of black sheep like you know and that's that's a powerful <laughs> thing you know you find you just you find your you find your tribe like you know but what advice yeah. would you give to someone that's like early on they're trying to get sober or maybe a family member of someone that's struggling to get sober like what how would you kind of what advice would you give to them um ask for help it's the most important thing ask for help and just overcome that fear that you have about going to a doctor going to someone that you trust going to a counsellor and tell them what's going on for you inside your head you know um Tell them that you're you're having a problem with alcohol or drugs, and just talk to somebody. Like it's it's the most important thing, you know. Before I actually went to the doctor, the day after I had my last drinking drug and asked for help, I would have never done that before because I'd I'd so much pride, and I thought if I had to go to the doctor not to ask for help, you know, does that make me a man? You know, but it, I was so broken at the time. But I had nobody talking to me around fear or any of these issues that I, w- I would have struggled with that were stopping me from going to the doctor previously. Go to the doctor, you know, talk to somebody, you know, go to your counselor. Don't go to your doctor and ask him for fucking meds or prescribed meds. Go to your doctor and have a conversation with him. Tell him where you are with your head. Tell him what's going on for you, tell them where you are around drugs or alcohol and your doctor will more than likely send you or put you on a list to see somebody, see a counsellor, you know, and when you go to a counsellor or, or you can start a pre-treatment programme, you know, but you also need to surround yourself with good people, you know, you need to surround yourself with family members who really care for you and want to really help you. And if you go back all around the people that you're drinking and drugging with or involved in certain behaviours with, say, drug dealing or, or crime or whatever, you're not giving yourself any chance, you know. And and, 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 and that's what people do, in, 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 some people do in recovery, you know. They, they, they are trying to stay away from alcohol and drugs and everything else, but they still have some of the old company and that can be very, 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 very difficult, you know, because if, 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 if you're around them some nights, you're just calling off for a cup of tea, there might be five or six of them inside the house, having a few lines, having a few bottles, that's going to look very, very tempting. So you need to mind yourself, watch the people you're around, be careful what where you're going, you know, and and just be very, very cautious and find somebody to talk about whatever's going on if you're inside your head. 
Because when we do stop alcohol, stop drinking and drugging, the head will come at you. You know, the head will really, really get very, very busy. And you'll have a lot of guilt, a lot of shame around the things that we've done in alcoholism and addiction and everything. So be very, very careful. And you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to somebody about that stuff, you know. Somebody you trust, maybe a counsellor you trust, or somebody that comes highly, highly recommended, you know. And you'll find a lot of those people in AA, in NA, you know. Be very careful. Talk to people. Have a chat with people and, and see. And you'll get to know people inside the rooms. You know if they're good for you or not good for you. And, 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 and we both know, like, like A and NA, like, there's a lot of people in there who really, really want to help you, you know. But just, it's, it's A and it's NA. There's a lot of sick people in there as well, and their minds are sick, you know, because they're coming, like, we're coming away from years and years of trauma and addiction. And you just need to be very, very cautious about what you say and what you do, you know, and, and find somebody that would be good for you, you know. Um, and that's what I've done. I was very fortunate. I find I found a really good man who became my sponsor. And if he taught me across the road in front of a truck, I'd done it, you know. And that's how I got recovery in my life, because I listened to him and I'd done absolutely everything that he asked me to do. You know, I, I woke up every morning and I asked the higher power for help. You know, I made a gratitude list every morning. You know, I thanked God every night. You know, and I had no God in my life. You know, I had no God, but I thanked whatever kept me alive. Because I started to realise a higher power greater than myself kept me alive. Because I looked back at some of the situations I got into in my lifetime. And I should have died through drug addiction, drug overdose, through car crashes, through fighting with other people, getting involved in serious situations, you know. So I knew that there was a purpose here for me in this lifetime, you know, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than this, you know, it's bigger than this. It's not about this here, what you can see. It's about, it's bigger. It's, it's what I do, it's how I change in, 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 in a broader a broader field, how it changes, what my actions do and my words, how they help other people. It's not about me. You have to look beyond, I always look beyond me and what I want, you know, and, and, and I always have to look at what I can give. That's, that's what powerful. I can give. I love that, Timmy. I love that, man. That is powerful. And anyone listening to that, is, you're going to help them a lot, man. And for you, like over, over your last 10 years of recovery, is there any... Any special moments that really stand out, like that said to you, well, this is the gift of the gift of recovery. Mm. The day I got married, you know, the day I got married, my wife who stuck through me, who stuck with me during the whole of my addiction years, you know, through the really, really, really worst of me, you know. Um, that was one of the proudest days of my life to have my two young children there as well. My daughter, who was 10, and my son was six at the time, to have both of them there and be a massive part of the wedding. You know, it was in a very, very emotional day for me. And I embraced that day with every inch of my body and mind and soul and spirit. And I felt everything for the whole day. You know, when my two children were born, I was caught up in addiction. Right, and I, I, I didn't really feel anything at the time. I didn't feel anything, you know. I, I, I felt love. I'm sure I did, but I didn't know what it was back then. But when I look back now, and I look at the feelings that I did feel on those days of, of, of the births of my two children, now I know that was love, and I can appreciate it now because I didn't know what love was back then. But now I know what love is because I feel it for my children, for my myself, and for my wife. I know I felt it back then as well, but I did couldn't couldn't describe what it was back then because it wasn't something I was familiar with because I was a numb human being because of 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 stuff that went down in, in early years and stuff like that when I completely shut off, as I said earlier. But yeah, that was definitely one of the most powerful days of my life. And uh, even going on to get an education, you know, and finish an honours degree in construction management, call them like for the whole period of that time while I was in college, I never, I had no belief in myself. I had no belief. 
until I started getting good grades off my lecturers and they started telling me, well done. And about two years into it, two and a half years into it, I started to you know, have that belief, you, know what? you can actually do anything. You can actually do it. And that voice, that the condition in, in me where I was telling myself, you're stupid, you're thick. You know, it was around the same time now I got my assessment for dyslexia. I was in my second year, third level. I was about 36, 37 years of age. And when I got that assessment done and they told me that I was dyslexic, that was the game changer. You know, that was a massive point in my life. And the, and to finish college, you know, um, these were massive, massive um success moments in my life you know things that I really look back from and I get a lot of gratitude and a lot I feel a lot of love and happiness from you know That's beautiful. there's loads of them there yeah. before when I was in addiction I couldn't have told you one I could yeah. go for the next 24 hours now and just talk about them because they, they just start coming up, yeah. up, up. It's, it's amazing you know? isn't it like that's when I came in, they said, you have a life beyond your wildest dreams. You know, they said to you, the force got sober. And I thought, oh, geez, yeah, we would be fucking doing a chair on the late late show or playing for Barcelona or something like that, you know, thinking big. But it's like that, man. I think that I just having peace of mind, waking up in the morning and liking who you are and being able to go to bed at night and not be riddled with anxiety and depression and the racing mind, you know, and... Just and being able to sit with yourself as well, man. Being able to relax and not need to be running a million miles an hour to get away from yourself, like you know. And these simple things—they're amazing. But Timmy, man, it's been absolutely phenomenal talking to you. Come here. I'm gonna ask you just before we finish up. I'm just gonna ask you t- three quick questions, uh, and you can answer them as, mo- as as long or as short as you want. So the first question: What's the greatest advice you've ever gotten? Greatest advice. Probably, probably when I was, I was told that by fighting what I was, what was going on inside my head, I was making what was going on inside my head worse. It was like, I'll give you a quick analogy of it. So for example, say you have a neighbor living next door to you and you don't get on. And she's breaking your balls. She's throwing her rubbish over her into your garden and she wants to argue with you 24-7. And the minute you start arguing back with her and giving her more fuel to start arguing with you with, you know, you're losing a, a, a losing battle, you know. That was the battle I had inside my head with myself. My critic was so negative. And I had this unconscious mind you know that had all this negativity because of the stuff that happened when they were young and stuff and the belief systems the core beliefs that I was no good and I was bad telling me this and that and the other and I had the kind of logical mind here and it was saying but you're not you're a good person I stopped that fight I stopped that back and forth fight you know and the minute I stopped that my life changed and I could only do that through meditation I only done natural meditation, so I would bring it into meditation. The minute negative stuff would come up, I just felt it, and and I was able to watch and the thought, and say, "It's okay," and breathe into the feeling, you know. And 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 that was a massive turning point in my life when I was told, "Stop fighting, just stop fighting, stop fighting yourself, stop fighting everybody, stop fighting." situations where you've no power over stop fighting anything you know and, and that was a that was the turning point because as you guess you probably guess i fought all my life i fought on the street i fought in home i fought to fight my whole way of growing up and for me to stop that fight was one of the most difficult things in my life you know but when i was told that i was told do you know what to me stop fighting yeah that was the turning point, you know. That's stuff, That's powerful. What's the worst advice you've ever gotten? Um, worst advice. <laughs> um, it's a good one. 
nothing is coming to the top of my mind. You know, I'll give me the next question and, and, and I'm sure something will come up by then. And how would you define happiness today? Oh, my idea of happiness today, Colm, is, is just sitting inside in this sitting room with my children, my two wife, my two children and my wife and our two dogs and just looking at them smiling and joking and talking to each other and laughing and arguing with each other. Who wants to cuddle the dog, the pup, you know? That's happiness to me because I'm living in that moment in time and I don't want to be absolutely anywhere in life. You know, I I get so much from that and that makes me so happy and it makes me happy in here. Not up here, it makes me happy in here and I just get so much gratitude from that. You know, and, and I feel so blessed that I'm one of the fortunate ones that still had a family when when they st- stopped using alcohol and drugs. I'm very, very blessed, you know, because a lot of people don't have that. And you know that yourself, a lot of people don't have it because everybody's gone. So I get very, very, that is when I'm truly, truly happy, when I'm sitting here and I'm just looking at them and I'm, I'm able to thank God for what I have, you know. And that's, 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 that's that. That's magical. You know, I love yeah. that, Timmy. Timmy, man, it's been absolutely sensational talk to you, man. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, having the chats, man, and I've gotten so much out of this. And it's, I'm actually uh, overwhelmed. You know, I'm a massive fan of the podcast, man. So it's just uh, definitely a highlight of my podcast career to be able to talk to someone like you. So thanks a million for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me, Adam. And, um, you know, keep doing what you're doing, pal, and you're doing amazing work and you're a true gent and I wish you all the all the best going forward. Thank you. That, that means a lot. Thanks, Timo. Recording stopped. Cheers, bro. Just I finished up the recording there. Thanks a million yeah. for that. That that was great, man. I really fucking appreciate that. I apologize for, for earlier on, you know, but 